I, I've been hearing this morning the Father just speaking to me in worship about um, the fact that, that He is the one who brings um, the light of His love into darkness. And He comes into the darkest places, in, in the, the darkest corners, and the dirtiest corners of the world, and the darkest, dirtiest corners of my heart, of our hearts. And He can bring that healing power of His love. He brings that light that shines in the darkness. The darkness can't overcome it. And he's been saying to me all week, get your hopes up. Get your hopes up for what God, what I want to do in your heart um, this morning, this Sunday, this year, 2018. Get your hopes up for what I want to do in Bedford and in the nation and in the world. That we, we can't become complacent. He's got so many great new things for us. And the light of his love, um, it, he, his light shines in the darkness, and the darkness won't overcome it. You know, when I was um, preparing for this, I remembered about um, five years ago that God started talking to our family about moving house. And um, so we prayed about it a bit, and we decided we'd go for it. And it took about two years for us to find our new house. Um, but it was a beautiful story, and we finally found it. Um, the house was exactly what we had dreamed of, um, and it se- sounds a bit crazy, but it was a complete dive. You know, it was built in, I think, 1956, and it hadn't been touched since. And in fact, nobody had lived in it for the six years before we moved in. So um, it wasn't derelict, but it was really dirty. And um, we had big plans for it. You know, we thought by the time we got it and extend it, it's going to be amazing. And the father told me right at the outset of this new journey of this new house um, that he had hidden treasure for me to find in this season. And I was so excited and I was full of joy and faith um, on a couple levels. One, kind of just in the natural, because I'm an interior designer and I love a good building project. But also in the spiritual, you know, um, I was expecting this mountaintop experience, you know, just skipping through the hills with Jesus and discovering treasure along the way. And um, I was really excited. You know, we moved in. We did have a few surprises that um, we wouldn't really call treasure. Um, Nobody had been in there for six years, so we had, like, these spiders the size of small rodents. You know, every time I flipped a light on, I was like, Simon, help, you know? And we'd had all these probably, like, 16 or 18 neighborhood cats using our back garden as a litter tray for the last six years. It was nasty. You know, it took a few months after we moved in to get our plans all together and to find a builder. Um, and in that time, Simon's mom had a major stroke. And also, his dad died. A lot of you guys might, might know the story. Um, but, sorry, I lost myself. I lost my train of thought. In the, at that point, when Simon's dad died, um, a couple of weeks later, we were at the stage in our house where... We didn't have a roof on our house. The building work had started, and there was no roof. And um, our builder also came to us and said that he was abandoning the project, and he was leaving us um, thousands of pounds short of what we needed to finish the work. And that day when Simon and I stopped crying and started looking at our options, um, we decided that the only option we had was to ask some of our amazing friends if they would help Simon build our house, finish this work in in their time off. And um, that's what we decided to do. And so they'd watch YouTube in the morning and build it in the afternoon. (laughs) 
Um, and it was painful, but it was also amazing. You know, it was like raising the Amish barn. You know, we had every, all of our friends were in helping us. And um, four months later, we were exhausted, but we were making progress. And I think you can see that's my kitchen. That's kind of what, it, that's what most of my house looks like. And then on our daughter's 14th birthday, when we thought it couldn't get any worse, Simon had what we thought was a heart attack. And it turned out that it wasn't that, but it was the beginning of a, a long, mysterious illness. And if you're around the church at that time, you'll know that Simon wasn't around for, for months. He was off work. And what had already been one of the hardest seasons in our life, um, just dealing with bereavement and supporting Simon's mom and living in this building site with not enough money to finish it, it, was, it got 10 times worse. And for me, the pressure was really building because now I was not only interior designer for our project, but I was also project manager. And I was the only driver in the house now. So I was driving my kids everywhere they needed to go and driving Simon to these mini doctor's appointments trying to figure out what was wrong with him. I was also counselor. You know, I was trying to help my kids process their feelings about where, you know, where is God in all of this? I was also lone referee. You know, it seemed like suddenly my kids were fighting more than they ever had done before. I was also running my own business. And I just felt this need to try and keep our household from drowning under this heavy, heavy, heavy pressure. You know, the emotional strain was huge, and sometimes it felt like if I opened my mouth, just all this pressure and stress and pain would just come exploding out. And I found myself crying out, God, you said hidden treasure, not hidden pressure. This is not what I was expecting. You know, and it was during this time that I woke up one morning, and Simon, had, as part of his illness, had insomnia, and um, he had had a particularly bad night. And um, my natural positivity had carried us a long ways, but it was running really thin. And um, I, was, I was feeling extremely desperate this particular morning, and I was driving my kids to school, and I, and I was in the car, and they were talking, but I wasn't listening. I was just crying out in my heart. God, I need to know you're with me today. I am desperate for some encouragement. I feel like I am right on the edge. I need to know you're here with me. You know, I imagine everyone in this room has faced similar times. You know, that real dark night of the soul, that rock bottom. Maybe some people are in that place right now. You know what I found, though, in my dark night? I found that there was hidden treasure. I discovered how to find God in a way that I had never found him before. I found the tender heart of God. And that's what I want to talk to you guys about this morning, how to find the tender heart of God. Why? Because I believe as Christians, we need it. You know, it's the tender heart of God that turns despair into hope and turns trials into a spacious place. And the whole world around us needs this tender heart of God as well. You know, years ago, John G. Lake, the great American revivalist, brought this prophetic word, which I believe is for right now. There's coming from heaven a new manifestation of the Holy Spirit in power, and that new manifestation will be in sweetness, in love, in tenderness, and in the power of the Spirit beyond anything our hearts or minds ever saw. God is doing something beautiful, something new, something now. 
So how do we access that? How do we find that tender heart of God? I just want to pray for us real quick. Holy Spirit, I just thank you that with you, it's safe to get our hopes up. Even where we've been disappointed in the past or we don't know what to expect, that we're safe with you, that we're safe with your love. Thank you that there's more love. And Father, whatever we, we know or whatever we've experienced, Father, I just thank you that there's so much more for us today. So I just pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, open our ears, take us deeper this morning. Come and do what only you can do, Jesus. Amen. Well, in Psalm 131, we get a glimpse of one of these tender moments between David and God, which, like my story, was framed in stress and huge amounts of pressure for David. The psalm is like reading from one of his journals. He was probably a young man when he wrote it. And um, it's likely that he was mixing at that point in the courts of Saul, who was the king. And um, there were rumblings of um, David's divine appointment to be the future king. And in that place, um, kind of in the public eye, he was being accused of seeking kingship early with pride in his heart. And with, with the pressures of um, his motives being publicly in question, he comes to God and he searches his heart. Let's read it. I love Psalm 131 because this is it. It's super short. <laughs> My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. So this morning I want to look at three things that David can teach us through this psalm about accessing the tender heart of God. David's in a tough place, a dark place, a fearful place. So what has he learned? The first thing that jumps out to me when I read this psalm is that David sees himself like a child. And that's the first point, come like a child. There's lots that could be said about children, some of it not so positive. I don't think I'll ever get the picture of my toddler in the bathroom with the toilet brush in his mouth out of my head. <laughs> but I don't think that's what David means when he says, come to God like a child. You know, babies are the epitome of vulnerable dependency. They can do absolutely nothing for themselves. If someone doesn't feed them or clothe them or change them or talk to them, they'll die. They're 100% reliant on other people to meet their needs. And David identifies with this state. It's like he lays down who he is, what he's called to be. He lays, he lays down his fears. He lays down his anxieties. And he remembers that he's completely reliant on God to sustain him to meet every one of his needs. He consciously puts his trust anew in God. You know, I remember the first time I went abseiling. And um, I don't know if you've been before, but this particular time I went with a group of friends. And um, I remember my friends, I was at the bottom of the mountain next to the instructor, and my friends were at the top of the mountain. And, and they were edging themselves, you know, backwards to the, to the edge of the mountain. And they'd let their heels hang over the edge. And then the instructor from the bottom would say, now, just sit back like you're sitting in a chair and let the rope do the work. 
And, you know, I was at the bottom. Woohoo, this is so much fun. My friends made it look easy, you know, and they bounded down the side of the mountain. And it was wonderful. And then suddenly, it was my turn. And I was on the top of the mountain, and I had my heels hanging off the edge. And the instructor is saying, now, just sit back, bum first, like you're sitting in a chair, and trust the rope. And everything in me is like, no, I can't trust a rope. That's insane. I'm going to die, you know. But I had all this peer pressure because now my friends are at the bottom of the mountain cheering me on. And I decided, you know what, I'm just going to trust. And so I sat back, you know, just like I was sitting in a chair. And the only problem was is that one of my feet slipped. And suddenly I was like hanging upside down, bum in the air, dangling from the side of this mountain by this rope. And on the inside, I'm thinking, this trust thing is so much harder than it looks. You know, isn't that just a picture of the Christian life? Your friend's like having a hard week, and I'm like, oh, it's okay, just trust in God, you know? And then the next week, it's my turn, and I'm having a hard week, and I step off that spiritual mountain and trust and find myself dangling upside down, bum in the air. Trusting God is not easy. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes when things are unknown or we're totally out of our depth and letting go of control and coming to God like a child and trusting that he knows how to lead us to safety, it's hard. You know, one of my kids really battled hearing God and um, he had this real desire to hear God's voice Um, and he asked God to hear his voice for years and years and years and never felt like he did. And we would talk to him about, you know, there's lots of different ways to hear God's voice, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't um, accept that. He had one specific way that he really wanted to hear from God. And over time, um, living with this unanswered prayer, um, the pressure started to build up so much in him that he started to wonder, you know, is there even any point? Does God actually hear Does God really talk? Is there any point in asking? And then one night, out of the blue, he had a dream. And he woke up the next morning, he was super excited about his dream because suddenly he had heard God's voice. This is what he had been asking for. And at breakfast, he told us about the dream, and it had happened at the time when we were living in in our house like a building site. And um, in the dream, he came back from school, and the roof was on, and the house was finished. And um, this, this is was meant to happen that week, you know? It was before everything fell apart and the roof was supposed to be going on that week. So although we were excited that he had heard from God and it was an answer to prayer, it didn't feel like a massively prophetic dream, you know, to me. Until three days later when our builder came to us and told us he was leaving the job and we didn't have enough money to put a roof on our house. And then suddenly that dream became the lifeline of hope that we all held on to throughout the whole project. And so for our son, that dream was so much more than the hope of a finished house. He suddenly realized that God does speak to him, that God was listening, and he did answer. And in one fell swoop, it was like that dream washed away all the chatter and noise of disappointment and doubt. God had hidden treasure for our son in that season, too. And he's actually now become the person in our family who views a delayed answer to prayer in in the way that there's a better yes coming. That's always what he jumps to quick. Well, if God hasn't answered, there must be a better yes coming. And he challenges us. It's amazing. 
when we're experiencing dark times, when we're experiencing suffering, disappointment, delayed answers to prayer, these are often the times that we feel most vulnerable. It's just natural. We do. It can be so easy in these times to become offended with God or to run from him. But what I'm learning and what the psalmist is saying here is that if we come to God as children, if we trust him right there in the mess and humble ourselves and remember that actually he's got everything we need, we remember our dependence on him, these dark times can turn into opportunities to find his tender heart. So what does David say? He says, I have calmed and quieted myself. What does that look like for you? What is your self-talk like in the darkness? You know, that voice that speaks to you about doubt and despair and fear. How do we move forward? How do we get to a place where we honestly, truly believe deep down in our hearts that a delayed answer to prayer means there's a better yes coming? What does it look like to quiet ourselves? For me, some of these answers are found right here in this psalm. Firstly, David comes like a child. And the next key to finding the tender heart of the father is to focus on his face. We've seen in this psalm in verse 2 that the child's not the only person in the room. Remember, it says, I have calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. David talks about himself with a child with his mother. Genesis 1.27 says that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we know that all masculine traits and all feminine traits are found perfectly in the heart and person of God. We are all created in his image. We know that God is Father. Jesus introduced us to him as Father. And good earthly fathers reflect God. They provide, they protect, they offer strength and stability. And when they give their family members their name, they give them identity. They're reflecting God in this. But also in Isaiah 66, 13, God likens himself to a mother. He says, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. In Matthew 23, 37, Jesus laments over Jerusalem and says, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. So when we look at scripture, we get this picture of a perfect heavenly father who gives amazing strength protection, stability, identity, like that of a good earthly father. And we get a picture of a singing, delighting, peace-bringing, embracing, tender-hearted nurturer with a heart like that of a good earthly mother. Good earthly fathers and mothers are both reflections of our heavenly father. It's a beautiful mystery. When we see the picture that David paints here, we see what we see is this intimate exchange between mother and baby. And there's something in this exchange that reveals the tender heart of God. Man, newborn babies. I remember it was like it, like it was just yesterday, even though it's been more than a decade. You know, that middle of the night, 2 a.m., projectile vomit. Get it all cleaned up, go back to bed, 3 a.m., up again, poo up the bath, baby need, poo up the back, baby needs a bath. You know, 4 a.m., finally back to sleep. And now the baby's hungry, there's nothing in its stomach. <laughs> Anybody remember that? 
Anybody have that last night? <laughs> Probably plenty of us. But you know what? I also remember holding my first baby. And I remember that like fountain of love that just seemed to so naturally come out of me and pour out of my eyes when I looked at her. You know, I felt like Superman with laser, laser vision. And it was like my love was this laser vision. I could like feel it coming out of my eyes. And actually, I still do. I've recently discovered that when a baby is born, um, the maximum distance that the baby can see is the distance between a mother's chest and her eyes. You know, it's amazing. That's the extent of the baby's focus. And God designed it that way. There have been many studies on this. Remember, this mother in this picture is reflecting who he is to us. There have been many studies about this, about this whole thing with the mother's eyes and with her baby. And they've discovered that when a mother gazes at her child, when she looks at her tiny little treasure with that smile of admiration and fascinated with everything about that baby, something's being transmitted into the heart, into the very being of that little person. Something that says, you are welcome here. You are mine. You belong. You know, that is foundational stuff. It's what, it's what security is built on. You know, even as I'm saying these things, I'm aware that there's people in this room who haven't experienced that from their mother. Or maybe there's people in this room who are mothers and haven't, for whatever reason, been able to give that to their child. You know, maybe these things have left you feeling difficulty connecting with others or trusting others or feeling angry or in need to control your environment. Or maybe you feel isolated and lonely just wondering whether you fit or if you have purpose. You know, maybe you had an amazing mom and she was able to give you those things. But the idea of lifting your eyes and looking into the eyes of God seems really scary because of some of your own decisions. And maybe you feel ashamed. But I'm here to tell you this morning, get your hopes up. It is not too late. That the eyes of the Father are not eyes of disgust. They're not holding back. But those laser beams of love from his eyes are focused on you. And when you return his gaze this morning, you are going to see love in his eyes for you. You know, I recently met a couple who told me an amazing story about an opportunity they had as a family to invite a woman in. She was a foreign woman who had been trafficked. And they had this opportunity to invite them into her home to live with them, um, to, to learn to recover. And it was such an amazing story. I asked her if she'd write it down for me. And she did, and I want to read you a little bit of it. She says this, Sarah moved, with us, moved in with us a year ago, and it wasn't easy. Her trauma was easily triggered, and sometimes she stayed in her room for days at a time. She had no routine, and her pain was sometimes so immense that she couldn't even give herself a bath. She didn't know what food she liked, as she had just had to eat whatever was available. She didn't know the basics, like what the physical signs of hunger meant. She had, to, she had huge anxieties, and she's needed more love than I knew that I could give, and at times we've been her only support. When she had been living with us for about six months, we read Isaiah 61 over her. My husband hugged her for the first time, and she clung on, sobbing in his arms. A snapshot of that moment will stay with me forever. She came to us a bruised and broken woman, desperate for approval and love, 
with many, many tears and bound up by fear. After a year living with us, she leaves our home on Saturday morning to move into a flat of her own. She beams with excitement about her future. She loves her voluntary work at the local hospital. She has an eating and sleeping routine. She laughs lots with us. She says she knows we love her and that she will always be part of our family. We are so privileged to have been a part of her journey. You know, with the Father, there is no such thing as a hopeless cause. My friends were the very face and arms and tender heart of God to Sarah. Isaiah 49.15 says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Even if we've been neglected by our earthly parents, God's love never fails. He didn't forget Sarah, and he didn't forget me, and he doesn't forget you. We need to hear the Father say these words, I will not forget you. When we think about our past, the Father says, I will not forget you. When we think about our future, the Father says, I will not forget you. Right now, if we're in a mess, he hasn't forgotten us. It's not too late. We can afford to get our hopes up. As loved children of God, we have access to the very face of God. We can look in his eyes. And in his face is all the grace and forgiveness and hope and belonging and love that we are ever going to need. When we lock eyes with Jesus, we get that deep sense of belonging. This is where I'm supposed to be. Everything else just fades away. This is my home. No matter my own failings or um, my earthly parents' failings, it's not too late. This is one of our basic human needs. It's met right here in the, in the face of the Father. So to find the tender heart of God, we come like a child. We focus on his face. And before I get to the last point, I just want to take you back to the beginning. You know, where I was feeling of all the pressures of living in my house like it was and Simon being really ill. And I woke up that morning. It was a particularly bad morning. And Simon was in a particularly bad mood. <laughs> and I was near despair, you know. And I was driving to school and I was crying out to God in my heart. I need to know you're here with me. I'm really close to the edge. So we parked and I walked my son into school and said goodbye. And as I turned around, there was a man coming into the playground and he was walking straight towards me. And I knew him, but not very well. And I knew that he didn't have any kids in that school, but he marched straight up to me and he said, Caroline, God woke me up at four o'clock this morning and he told me to pray for you and for your family. And then he told me to come here this morning and find you and tell you that sometimes the father takes us right to the edge because he wants us to know his embrace. And you know, for me, it was like the world got silent, you know, and I just stood in that playground and wept because the father was so, so close. And I couldn't believe that in that moment, in all of my mess, he saw it all and he wanted to come closer. He wanted me to know his embrace. After this, I kind of became on high alert. You know, I didn't want to miss anything. And my despair, it started to turn to hope. And I, I realized that my fear was turning to expectation, even though my circumstances hadn't changed. Something in my spirit shifted from feeling like a victim to feeling like an explorer, sort of embarking on a journey with the promise of something priceless. You know, I didn't want to miss anything. I asked God, open my eyes. Let me see signs of you. I started to realize that if I allowed my voice of fear and doubt 
to play over and over and over in my mind, it would drown out his still small voice. His voice was saying things about safety and hope and freedom. I realized that if I didn't quiet myself and find my comfort in him, I would miss the treasure. And that's the last aspect of this psalm that jumps out to me, finding our comfort in God. That is my third and final point. You know, perhaps some of you men, you might be feeling like, oh, my days, this is all a little bit feminine, <laughs> you know? Comfort and tenderness and mothers and babies and crying. <laughs> well, if David the bear and lion and giant slayer isn't man enough for you, <laughs> what about the Apostle Paul? Paul the church planter. Paul the debater. Paul the man beaten, imprisoned, and shipwrecked. How did he go through all of that and not become a hardened shell of a man? 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 3, Paul writes, Praise be to the, God, to the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. This was the key. Paul knew what it was to be comforted and, and by God, and this is exactly what David is saying here in our psalm. Remember, David's, he's, he's in a time, he's at the heat, in the heat of conflict, you know? He's in the courts of King Saul. He's politi there's political manipulation all around. Who do I trust? Who do I listen to? Where do I go? How, does, how do I survive this jungle? Anybody ever feel like that at work or with your extended family over Christmas? <laughs> Yet David says in this psalm that he's like a weaned child. And when I read that, that stands out to me. What, why a weaned child? What's the difference between a weaned child and a child that's not weaned? The New Living Translation says, like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. You know, before babies are weaned from their mother's milk, um, anytime their mom's holding them, whether it's feeding time or not, if it's their mom and they can smell milk, they're like... <laughs> You know, like little pigs trying to, <laughs> trying to get fed. You know, they, they can't relax. But a weaned baby is slightly older, and they're at peace in their mother's arms because they've learned that, that she'll meet their needs. They've learned to trust their mom. And because of this, they're able to rest and be satisfied in her embrace. And I believe this is the picture that David's painting here. He's come like a child. He's let his worries from the political scene stay behind, and he's focused his eyes on the face of his father. He remembers that his father's the source of his life, and he trusts and he's satisfied in the comfort that he finds in his father's embrace. You know, I can't exactly remember being a baby and being held by my dad, um, but I can clearly remember the sound of his voice kind of from the inside out, you know? And I must have had my, my ear pressed to his chest because I have this, um, this memory of um, his voice being like this warm, echoey hum that was sort of everywhere all at once. And for me, that's the sound of absolute safety and contentment. And our Father is available um, for this kind of intimacy. Often when we lay our head on his chest, his comfort comes in the form of his promises. He says, as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. Come to me, you who are weary, and I will give you rest. He says, I have plans for you, plans of hope. 
the door's open and the invitation is there. We can let all the pressure and fear just fade away. We don't have to do anything but lay our head on his chest and receive his comfort. You know, I know that God is with my children wherever they go, but I still sometimes struggle with this irrational fear that they're going to get caught up with a, in a terrorist bomb attack. And um, with, I can hardly even read the news because sometimes this fear just grips me when my kids aren't with me. And um, it was one such time my husband, uh, sorry, my son, one of my sons was away on a long school trip, and I was really battling the, with this fear. And I just did the only thing I knew to do. I laid my, down on my bed, I was ill at the time, and I pretended that my pillow was the chest of God. And I just laid down and I was like, God, I really need your peace. I am desperate for your peace. I know the truth, but I'm just not feeling it in my heart. And then I waited. And what I heard God say was, check your emails. And at first I was like, get behind me, Satan. This is not the time. I'm not going to pick up my phone. I'm having a time with God here. And then I just listened again. And he said it again, check your emails. So I was like, okay. So um, I thought I probably got this wrong, but I'll do it. You know, picked up my phone and I had one email. And it was from YouTube. And it was telling me that my favorite worship leader had a new, a new worship song. So I was like, okay. So I thought, this has got to be from God. So I clicked on it. And she was singing this prophetic song about God dropping joy bombs. I mean, I had never heard a song about joy bombs sung on this stage. And I just knew I was afraid of bombs. And, and God was redeeming that. And that his joy was going to be my son's strength, whatever came to him while he was away. And, you know, the whole time he was away, I had peace because I knew that God was with him. And his joy is so much stronger than any, anything the enemy has planned. David the warrior was able to be David the worshiper because he stayed soft. Because he knew where to go for comfort. The arms of the father were enough for him. And this affected his life and it affected the lives of everyone around him. So this psalm shows us three doors into the tender heart of God. Come like a child. Focus on his face. Find comfort in him. The world is crying out for this comfort, for the tender embrace of the Father. And when we are satisfied in that place, we can bring that comfort to the world. There's a tsunami of God's tender, sweet love coming to Bedford. You've heard it said so many times. It's been prophesied over us as a people. I think it's being prophesied over the world that God's tender love is coming. And in the natural, a tsunami is a destructive thing. But a tsunami of the love of God that's wider than any ocean, that's deeper than any mountain, it's going to be more than we can ever imagine. And this morning, as we encounter the love of God, we can get our hopes up. He's got something amazing planned.